0: Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host, Chris Caraggio.
1: All right, folks, welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, another edition. I am your host, Chris Caraggio. And joining me today is Dr. Amar Kaisi. To talk about agility and resilience in healthcare administration leadership. Now we're going to cover two topics here during this podcast. One is elevating the human experience and building a workforce that keeps the brand promise. We're going to follow up with that, but first, before we do anything, let's give a let me give you folks just a little background on on Dr. Kaisi. He's got quite a background, so I want to get to it quickly. I'm going to put the glasses on for this. Dr. Kaisi is a professor of healthcare administration at Trinity University. He's the 2019 winner of the American College of Healthcare Executives' James A. Hamilton Award for his book, which is titled, Intangibles, the Unexpected Traits of High-Performing Healthcare Leaders. Uh, the book, which uses evidence-based approach, storytelling as well, and research to find results to examine humility, compassion, kindness, and generosity in the healthcare leadership. Now, Dr. Kisey joined the Trinity University faculty back in uh, 2003 after earning a doctorate in health service administration from the University of Minnesota. He teaches courses in leadership, healthcare management, strategic planning, and human resource management. He is also the director of the executive program and is certified as an executive coach. Dr. Kaisi, have you done anything else? I'm just <laughs> kidding. Just, just a joke. Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me, and thank you for ACHE for organizing this, this podcast. No problem. No problem. And you, you know what? We're, we're kicking everything off with you. Here, so this is great. You're you're the you're a great leadoff hitter for us, Dr. Kaisi. Okay, first, uh, let me give you congratulations on the book and, uh, and receiving that the James A. Hamilton Award. Um, before and again, the book is Intangibles: The Unexpected Traits of High-Performing Healthcare Leaders. Where can folks pick that up? By the way,
0: um, it's on the um, ACHE website,
1: on okay. Amazon, all of these regular great. sources. Good, 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 good. Um, First off, can you give us just a, a little summary about the research you conducted uh, and what you discovered?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that the idea for writing intangibles um, came to me a few years ago when I came across a report that was put out by the Harvard Graduate School of Education. In the report, they interviewed 10,000 middle school and high school students, and they asked them, what is the most important thing for you today at this stage of your life? What is your priority? So about 48% of the middle schoolers and the high schoolers said it was achievement, right? Not surprising. Mm-hmm. 30% said it was happiness. I just want to be happy. And only 22, 20% said it was caring for others. Now, as an educator, you know, these results were alarming for me because think of it, only one in five younger Americans believe that caring for others is important for them, is a priority for them. Now, these are the same students that will be in my classroom a couple of years later, but most importantly, these are the same managers that will be leading our organizations, especially our healthcare organizations in a few more years. So, you know, this got me concerned, and I started doing more digging, and I found out that researchers have actually been tracking this issue of empathy among college students for the last 25 years, and the results are not encouraging. So empathy is definitely on the decline, but narcissism is on the rise. Mm. Now, despite this alarming trend, what I also found was that humility, compassion, is making a comeback in management and leadership articles and studies. For example, publications like the Harvard Business Review and the Wall Street Journal were making a strong case that the best leaders are the humble leaders. So how how do we reconcile these two seemingly opposite trends? On the one hand, we have younger people that seem to be less and less caring and less humble, but our organizations need more and more humble and compassionate leaders. So that's why I decided to write intangibles. And what I found based on my own research, as well as the research that has been conducted by numerous others, is that high performing leaders are those that demonstrate humility, compassion, and kindness. However, and this is very important, these traits are necessary, but not sufficient. They also need to be complemented by ambition, strength and accountability so only when leaders have a good mix of these traits you know you've got on one hand humility compassion and kindness but on the other hand you need to have to be ambitious to be strong to hold others accountable and to hold yourself accountable only when leaders have this good mix of these traits the nice and tough approach if you want can they achieve high employee satisfaction and engagement better quality outcomes Patient satisfaction, better productivity, better financial outcomes. So, in a nutshell, that's that's what the book looks at.
1: And and I would imagine that those latter attributes that you listed—the ambition and that sort—those of, were the expected traits. Your book is the unexpected traits. So that you're talking more about the compassion and the humility, correct? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. The, these the, the unexpected ones are. What some people may think about as the softer traits. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. being humble, being compassionate, being kind. You don't often hear about these within the context of leadership because some people might see them as um, equivalent to weakness, possibly, or, or mm-hmm. being non confrontational, or, or being not assertive. But what the research shows is it takes a lot of strength to be humble, mm-hmm. to be compassionate, and to be kind. It would uh hopefully
1: let let's be optimistic here hopefully um the trend will reverse itself starting in middle school and and the odds will go up that maybe there are more middle schoolers going into high school that have a little bit more humility and a little bit less narcissism right that would make that would make um, folks in your in your space uh, their job a lot
0: easier as we move forward right absolutely but but you know while we're waiting for that to happen, sure. I think. We have a responsibility first as educators, you know, as an educator myself, we have a responsibility to bring in these traits into our curricula in, you know, masters and healthcare administration programs and MBA programs. We have a responsibility to do that. And then as leaders, you know, the leaders that are already leading our healthcare organizations also have a responsibility to hire the types of leaders that show these types of traits and to promote the type of leaders that are more humble, compassionate, and kind. Great transition, Dr. Kaysi, because now let's talk
1: about these physician leaders, okay? They face challenges as they transition from clinical settings into administrative roles, okay? So how are their high-performing traits
0: perhaps different than, than the non-clinical leaders? What, did you, what have you found? Yeah. You know, to answer this question, let's imagine the scenario, all right? I'm going to ask you and ask the listeners to imagine the scenario. Let's imagine that we take Phil Mickelson, one of the most successful golfers in the world, and ask him to become a professional quarterback in an NFL team overnight, right? We give him some books and we say, you know, attend a couple lectures on how, on the rules of football and how to be a great quarterback, right? Mm -hmm. And then we throw him on the field with an NFL team and say, go be a quarterback. What would we be doing? We'd be setting him up for failure, right? He doesn't like to get hit. Absolutely. (laughs) Just because he's a world-class golfer doesn't mean that he will become a world-class or even an average quarterback.
1: Very good, and he actually tried to uh, enter the world of professional baseball, and he
0: couldn't do that. Of course not. He actually tried to do that. Of course not. You know, The best intentions are not enough, right? However, inexplicably, that's what we do with our uh, physicians. That's what most healthcare organizations do with physicians. They take excellent clinicians Mm -hmm. and throw them into leadership roles supporting them only with a couple of lectures or a book and expect them to become excellent leaders. But it's never enough. And that's why many new physicians, uh, physician leaders struggle. Because as you know, the curriculum in most medical schools and residency programs is heavily weighted towards the clinical skills versus the leadership and management skills. However, when the physicians transition from pure medicine to management and leadership, the importance of their technical skills decreases, but the value of managerial and personal leadership skills is magnified. So what is really worrying and what I found in in some of my research is that if you think about it, the traits that are necessary for success as a clinician, such as autonomy, right? Mm -hmm. Directness, narrow focus, firmness, these same traits can get in the way of your success as a leader. Sure. At the same time, The crucial attributes for leadership, such as humility and vulnerability, are considered weaknesses in medicine and are typically trained out of physicians over the years. So, you know, how to solve this problem, right? In my opinion, I, I think the way to solve this problem is threefold. Physicians need to get graduate degrees in healthcare administration. They also need to join professional organizations and associations such as ACHE and attend these types of meetings and also need to seek help from executive coaches. So the MHA or the MBA degrees can first help address the knowledge gaps that physicians may have. Professional organizations such as ACHE can expose them to other physicians that are on similar journeys and also can complement their knowledge um, uh, in addition to what they learn in the classroom. And finally, I strongly believe that executive coaching can play a huge role in helping physicians become more self-aware of their own leadership style, and also can hold them accountable to work on their blind spots in terms of their leadership traits. Self-awareness is such an important thing to have,
1: right? Especially in an administrative role when you transition in leadership. So it's great that you laid out how that blend needs to needs to happen. Okay, let's talk about this. One of um, the ACHE seminars that you teach is about agility and resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, how? Let, let's go back to maybe 10 years ago, how, does thi- how do things look now compared to 10 years ago when we're talking about change and how leaders kind of outmaneuver their, their peers, their
0: competitors? Yeah. You know, I, I remember starting my career in healthcare about 20 years ago, right? And I remember at the time, every article that you read or every presentation that you heard always, always started with how the rate of change in healthcare is so unprecedented and how healthcare is so uncertain and so volatile. It was true then and I believe it's still true now. However, what I believe is more so than just uncertainty, I believe what we are facing is more and more complexity of change. It's not that we can't predict what's going to happen in the next few months. We know what's what's going to happen. It's just that a lot of changes are happening at the same time. Think of a few trends that we are facing today in our healthcare industry. Consumerism, for example, is on the rise, right? Mm -hmm. People want more price transparency. People want more convenient care locations. People want more uh, shorter wait times. People are demanding to have an experience, and most of our healthcare organizations are not there yet in terms of meeting these expectations. So we have consumerism going on. At the same time, we have competition, which has greatly increased. But it's not just competition in the traditional sense of the term, where in the past it was, you know, if you're a hospital or a hospital system, your competition was the other hospital down the road. Now the competition is coming in the form of CVS and Walgreens and Amazon and virtual care, and the health plans themselves are competing with us for, for our patients. Mergers and acquisitions have reached an all time high last year. Provider shortages are more severe than ever, and on and on and on. So, What I believe in terms of change today is not that we don't know what's going to happen, but it's rather that the sheer complexity of change is so overwhelming that I believe that agility and resilience are crucial for healthcare leaders today. Okay, great, great. Um, Resiliency,
1: let's talk about that. How do you define that when we're talking about leaders in the healthcare industry?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I like to think about resilience first at the individual leader level right, in terms of your self-leadership as as a leader, and then think about it at the team level and then at the organization level. So let's start with the individual leader, okay? What what is resilience? Resilience for an individual leader is his or her ability to deal with setbacks and to handle stress. This includes any type of career setbacks, all right, such as not getting a promotion or, um, you know, getting fired possibly, or getting laid off, as well as major events that can happen in any organization at any point in time, such as a cybersecurity threat or a major medical errors or a natural disaster, right? All of these are examples of setbacks. Now, how the leader reacts to these setbacks determines their resilience. However, what's important to remember is that we, as human beings, are not born with a limited amount of resilience. But rather, resilience is something that we can work on and that we can train. So, so one way to think about resilience is that resilience is like a muscle that you can grow and you can expand. Now, the second aspect of resilience, in addition to dealing with setbacks, is how do we handle stress as healthcare leaders? Obviously, the job of the healthcare leader today, with all the sheer complexity of change that we just talked about, is very stressful, right? You've got high workload, fast pace, long hours, complex changes, high expectations, and often emotionally draining situations and conversations that you have to have with colleagues, with family members, with patients, right? With physicians. But as an industry, I don't believe that we have done a very good job of addressing the stressors. Our reaction to the stress in general as healthcare leaders have been to hunker down, suffer and endure because we believe that this is the only way that you can show your commitment and your loyalty to the organization so the longer the hours that you worked the more people thought that yeah you were committed you were loyal to the organization however the evidence is showing us today that just enduring is not enough actually it's counterproductive because that's why so many of our executives today are suffering from burnout I know we hear a lot about burnout as a problem for providers, right? For physicians and nurses. But executive burnout is also a significant problem. So how, how should we deal with stress? Instead of enduring, I think our message should be recovering and recharging. I talk with a lot of healthcare executives from all over the country. And many of them say that they don't take vacation time. They don't take days off. And even when they do, it's a working vacation where they spend anywhere between four to six to even eight hours per day while on vacation, answering email and talking on the phone, addressing work-related issues. That doesn't lead to recovery. It doesn't lead to recharge. So what I, my message is that when we think about resilience, we need to be more intentional about giving people in our organizations the freedom to take time off, to go on vacation, to turn off their phones and leave their laptops behind when, when they go on vacation. We also need to put in place policies that limit or reduce email use on evenings and on weekends. Now, don't get me wrong, no one is naive here to say that we need to eliminate email use and talking on the phone on evenings and weekends. Yes, we are an industry that takes care of patients 24 seven and someone has to be on call. But based on what I hear and what I, what I see in our industry, we are way on the other extreme of enduring and suffering And we need to move a little bit more towards the middle, towards that sweet spot in the middle where, you know, we are allowing people to recharge and to be more resilient. It's common sense
1: when you really look at it. But I know that that gets lost sometimes. It it is
0: common sense, but it's not commonly practiced.
1: There you go. Very well put. Quickly, let's talk about human relations. Um, Can you give us maybe a scenario or two when we're talking about patient uh, patient care, clinical and non-clinical staff, when they kind of, come upon uh, change and how they
0: should use resiliency in their world to to be successful? Absolutely. You know, you you mentioned earlier self-awareness, right? Yes. I I believe in addition to allowing people to recover and recharge, we also should work on allowing people to build more self-awareness and also to build more mindfulness to help them deal better with change as individuals and as teams and as organizations. You know, as, as Harvard Business School professor Bill George once said, he said, "Self-awareness is the starting point of leadership." Recent research shows that 95% of leaders think that they are self-aware, but in reality, only 10 or 15% of them are, are self-aware. This is like driving skills, right? Mm-hmm. Most of us think we're great drivers, mm-hmm. but the reality is, only a few of us are, are great drivers. So, so we need to spend more time building self-awareness in our MHA curriculas, in our professional associations, and in our organizations. Now you may ask, what do, self people, what do self-aware people have? Self-aware people have a good understanding of their own values, and how that aligns with their organizational values. They also understand their own behavioral patterns, they know themselves well, they know their stressors and their needs, but they also take the time to observe and ask about their impact on others and how their behaviors affect others. So, so that, that's one scenario where, where we need to focus more on self-awareness, I believe. The other one, which I believe is very important for resilience too, and, and the research backs that up, is this issue of mindfulness. And, and this is a relatively new topic in, in, in healthcare leadership, is this topic of mindfulness, because when most people think about mindfulness or hear the term mindfulness, what they imagine is, is the image of some Tibetan monk, right? meditating for hours in some cave. And, And while that is part of it, this is not really what we're talking about when we talk about mindfulness within the context of leadership. What we're really referring to in terms of mindfulness is being aware of your own thoughts and your own emotions and your own actions as a leader and the ability to handle tough situations without reacting, without lashing out, without losing your cool. It's also the ability to be present when someone comes to you with a complex problem, the ability to listen and to be supportive without letting that drain you emotionally as a leader. So I believe that that self-awareness and mindfulness are key to resilience, and and we can't can't afford to regard them anymore as those soft, touchy-feely stuff. You know, there's tons of research that shows that self-aware and mindful leaders outperform their counterparts on every single measure of performance, including financial outcomes. So it, it is not soft stuff, because it does have a direct impact on the core outcomes that every organization in healthcare today um, cares to to measure, such as turnover rates, employee engagement, HCAP scores, productivity, and there I say, profits. Mindfulness and self-awareness impact all of these things, and that's why we can't afford to regard them anymore. as just Luxuries or touch, uh, uh, soft, touchy-feely stuff,
1: and all this stuff's in your book, right? I mean, absolutely. Yep, yep. V- very well said. Um, and you know, self-awareness and mindfulness—they go, they, they go together. I mean, yeah. they're they're very similar. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. kind of cross over into right. into one another. Right. So I understand those those two scenarios. Finally, as a member of Ache, how was your experience, and and um, the relationships that you've built? During your tenure as a member, a health administrative press author and faculty member, how has that impacted
0: your career? Yeah, you know I, I, I remember I've been coming to Congress, to ACHE Congress for almost sixteen years now. Um, almost every year. Um, you know, at, at Trinity University, which is where, where I work and, and where I'm a professor, each year we send the whole class of twenty three to twenty five students to attend Congress every single year and our Alumni Association covers most of their expenses. So the students are here every year. So myself and my colleagues at Trinity, we attend Congress with the students every year and enjoy all the educational and networking op- opportunities that Congress and that ACHE provides. You know, one way that I think about ACHE is, is I think about it as a third home, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the first home is obviously the home where you're with your family, right? Your second home is where you work. And for me, that's the university. And ACHE is, is that third home where you meet every year, um, you know, if you're going to Congress or you meet in your local chapter on, on a more regular basis with other executives, with, with professors, with students. And that's where we all get together and discuss some of the hard problems that our industry needs to solve. Issues like, you know, resilience and change and, and agility and stuff like that.
1: Well, you know, just sitting here the last few minutes with you, Dr. Kaisi, um, I can, you live what you teach, you practice what you preach, okay, it's easy to see that, it's easy to hear that, and we're talking about humility, we're talking about compassion, we're talking about generosity, so we really appreciate you taking time out to um, to extend those thoughts uh, to our audience, and again, the book um, is Intangibles, The Unexpected Traits of High-Performing Healthcare Leaders. Dr. Kaisi, great stuff. Let me shake your hand great stuff. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. You got it. My and uh, uh, folks, don't forget to subscribe uh, to the Healthcare Executive Podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Once again, I'm Chris Caraggio, and we'll see you next time.
0: This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ACHE.org.